As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sports drink. Spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. What's up, guys? Back for episode two of our journey through the AFC East Heading down to Miami to talk about the Miami Dolphins. Got a great guest uh, for us this time. Uh, Brian Miller from uh, Fansided's uh, FinFanatic.com. That's P-H-I-N-P-H-A-N-A-T-I-C.com. A little spelling lesson I caught myself there uh, with. But, um, you know, like I said, guys, you've heard me say this a million times before. For those of you who have been with me long enough that... uh, you know, this is probably my favorite time uh, of year reaching out uh, to people. Basically, these people are going to be our guests for the season. You know, it's like obviously you all know very well uh, Evan and uh, Jeremy and Chris are Lions, Packers, and um, Vikings guys that have been on the show every year with me from 2015 uh, and everything. But this time of year, we get to meet new people or meet up with old friends like we've already had Oscar Aparicio who's been on the show a few times the what's up Falcons guys uh came back but we also have a bunch of new friends this uh you know as well uh John Crumpler for the Texans um you know and basically everyone in the AFC East is somebody new that I haven't spoken to before so um you know Michael Nania that we spoke with about the Jets on the previous episode our new friend Brian Miller that we're talking to today and um uh Pat Lane from uh the Patriot Nation podcast will be with us next Tuesday to preview the Patriots and Dave Myers from Built in Buffalo, uh, a new friend that we'll talk to uh, next Thursday uh, to preview the Buffalo Bills. So, uh, you know, then we move on to the AFC, excuse me, the NFC East. And I don't know who I'm bringing, uh, who, who, who the guests are going to be. I think I'm reaching out to all new people to come back for those shows. Uh, as well before we get to our old friends uh, in the NFC North so but it's like I love having these conversations and 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 and, you know you've heard me talk about it before like this this shared understanding like we might not be fans of the same team but you get why I'm a fan of my team the way that I get the the way you know why you're a fan uh, of yours that passion that you know emotional skin in the game if you will that we all share despite the fact that we're rooting for different teams and uh and what have you uh it's it's always fun to meet to meet my like-minded people you know and uh i i enjoy uh, having these conversations and having these guests uh on the show for our, our shared love of football and our shared love of you know uh you know our, our teams and 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 what have you so um you know, I think you guys will especially like Pat uh, when we talk to him because Pat was a huge, is a huge Justin Fields fan. Can't wait to uh, see him in action, except for when we play him on Monday night uh, this year. But uh, somebody he wanted the Patriots to draft, but uh, didn't make it that far because we snagged him up uh, at eleven. And uh, Brian Miller, our guest today, um, very intrigued slash excited about what's ahead for the Dolphins, the new head coach and Mike McDaniel, uh, the weapons that they've surrounded Tua with. They you know went out and signed Teron Armstead. They got themselves a brand new center. Uh, they signed some new running backs to go along with that uh, you know zone blocking scheme uh, that McDaniel is bringing over from San Francisco, where he was the run game coordinator for um, Kyle Shanahan uh, with the 49ers. So. You know, not to mention that they've left their defense intact, including keeping the same uh, defensive coordinator 
from what was a top 10 unit last year. So if they can get the offense going, the Dolphins might hit the ground running uh, this year. So it's a very exciting team. But also, if it's a new coach, if it doesn't work, it could be a long first year. Maybe, you know, they don't pop off until year two uh, under McDaniel when everybody's used to the system and, you know, and what have you. So uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a hit or miss kind of year, I think, that Brian is looking forward to uh, with this team. Because uh, kind of like with the Bears, you're not sure what to expect, especially with all the new faces that Ryan Poles uh, has brought in. You know what you want to see. We know what we're hearing, what the Bears say they're going to do, which is all music to our ears after four years of of Nagy and his rigid just execute the system attitude to hear that, you know, Getze and, and Eberflus and, and company are, are talking about putting our guys in the best position to succeed, running a system that fits the players that we have instead of trying to make the players fit into the system. You know, that all sounds like music to our ears. Will it work out? We won't really know for sure until September when the season gets underway, but I think we're all excited to see it. You know, I don't know how many of us are expecting a big season from the Bears, but we want to see progress. We want to see growth from our quarterback and growth in our offense to see that, you know, we're on our way to competing. And then maybe when we got that $100 million in cap space next offseason, we can add some special players that help put us over the top and close the gap from where we are to where we want to be. So, uh, anyway, let's go ahead and dive right into this. And uh, Brian Miller from FinFanatic.com helping us preview the Miami Dolphins for 2022 here on the Bearstalk Underground. So let's get to it. Team number two in our journey through the AFC East takes us down to South Florida and the Miami Dolphins. And from the uh, FinFanatic website on Fansided.com, Brian Miller joining us to help us preview these 2022 Dolphins. Brian, welcome to the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, Brian, new friends of the show, I like to ask them all the same three questions. Uh, Number one, uh, where are you from? Number two, where are you now? And number three, your favorite moment as a fan of the Miami Dolphins. Well, I was born in – my name is Brian Miller. I'm from Cincinnati.com, and I was born in uh, Miami where I became a Dolphins fan. I was in North Carolina now, kind of moved around a lot as a kid. My dad was military. Okay. Um, So – so yeah, it's been uh, it's been kind of nice being a fan and kind of getting out there and going around the, the country and meeting new fans and obviously people that support other teams and living within their communities. So always been kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> as a personal fan favorite moment, uh, it's kind of a hard question to ask. Uh, mine's kind of more on a professional level, I guess. Mm-hmm. When I look at it, um, I had an opportunity to go to the, to, to the Dolphins. We used to put on an event called Web Weekend where it was like an honor that they did for the various sites that covered the team. Um, we were given press passes over the last few years, so we've been able to go into the locker room after the games and nice. interview the coaches and the players. And For me, um, a lot of the they had this thing called a, a Webby Award that was given out from various uh, different areas of covering the team, you know, best content, best news content, overall site, that kind of thing. And uh, about three years, I think it was about, 15, 16 years ago, I guess it was my first one. And I had been going to them for, for two years. And on my third year, I won three awards. Nice. Uh, so, and since then, I, I think I've taken home about 22 over the last 15 years. So it's, uh, it's kind of cool. So that's, that's my personal, my personal favorite moment, I guess, because uh, some of those awards were handed out by guys like um, Dwight Stevenson. So, um, you know, have an opportunity to meet a guy that's in the hall of fame and have him stand there and hand you something uh, that, you know, it was a personal accomplishment. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds nice. Um, moving around, um, before the days of, like, DirecTV and Sunday Ticket and stuff, was it hard to keep up with the Dolphins at that time? Yeah, you, you didn't have that opportunity. Right. Um, you know, you're – I mean, I'm I'm 53 years old now, and I remember – you know, watching the NBC telecast because NBC had the AFC teams on it back right. in the, uh, the the late seventies, mid eighties, and you would sit there and watch whatever game was televised locally. Uh, there was times I was in Washington D.C., so I would get the Redskins game. There was times I was in Houston, I'd get the Oilers game, um, and then you'd have to wait for that ten minute ticker to show the the scores right. from the rest of the games, and it never failed, man. The first freaking memory I have in my life was 
fourth quarter, you know the game's either close or it could possibly be going into overtime, and the ticker would come up, and it'd be three minutes left in the game or two minutes left in the game, and it's a tie game. And then your game that you're watching ends, and the next one doesn't start for another 15, 20 minutes. You have no idea what happened in the game, and there's no way to find out. You can't, like, jump on the radio. You can't jump on ESPN because it didn't exist. So you're just kind of sitting there going, wow, I have no idea what just happened. So not yeah. living in Miami, it was really horrible being a Dolphins fan, moving around like that. Yeah, and the likelihood of it being covered on the local news or anything, you have to wait for the paper to come oh. out tomorrow to be able to find out yeah, what happened. You, yeah, well, that and, uh, yeah, every, every absolutely. I mean, I remember when fantasy football first started, we were doing our drafts in the basement of somebody's house and literally did the scoring off of the newspaper box scores the next day on Mondays. So, you know, that was kind of crazy back then. We, we kind of, this whole, this whole internet thing wasn't even around. So yeah. It's kind of funny. But, uh, yeah, you'd wait until the, uh, the sports, the sports score at night on one of the local channels would always have the highlights from Sunday's games, um, and, and show you the score. So there was a, a few evenings where, you know, a game would end at, uh, <clears throat> seven o'clock if it was a late game. And if that happened when the Dolphins were playing late, later in the afternoon, you may not find out the score of the game until 9 o'clock. So, right. uh, yeah, big, totally different era, that's for sure. One For sure. I mean, I I was I did this series of shows during the offseason called the Retro uh, Rewind. I think I told you about it when we were texting to prepare for the show. And um, looking back at old 80s games, like I did the, an 86 Bears-Packers game with Emory Moorhead from the 85 Bears, mm. and, and re-watching the broadcast in full on YouTube, minus the commercials, of course, but – no running ticker there was no first down marker on the field there was no oh we're in the red zone so now we're going to paint the field a different color there was and if you weren't paying attention for the three seconds between them breaking the huddle and them getting to the line of scrimmage no idea what the down and distance is no idea what the score is how much time is left in the game or any of that stuff it is the football team the football game is on the screen pay attention you know that's and the, the it's not like the announcers were saying first and 10 with 345 to go it's 21 to 16 or anything like that every single down of the game so you had to pay attention just to know what was going on in the game you were watching never mind wanting to try to keep up with a game not on your market right now so oh, absolutely. It, definitely a very very different time uh, for the uh, for the league and, and for technology and, and broadcasting and all that kind of stuff so all right, so let's go ahead and dive in here. Uh, real quick, let's talk about 2021 real, uh, real fast because this was kind of a, well, a roller coaster of a season for you guys. You, you start off with a win over the Patriots week one uh, and then proceed to lose seven straight. But after the seven-game losing streak, you win seven in a row, eight of the last nine to finish nine and eight and just barely miss out. On the playoffs, I mean, it's you know, basically you cut the season right in half. You got the tail of two seasons going on here. Talk about what a roller coaster that was, you know, as as a fan, as a writer, you know, the whole thing. Because um, you you know, if you have access to the locker room, you've had access to the players. What was that like? Those two halves of the season, seven game losing streak, seven game winning streak. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, I was at the Houston game last year. Uh, Jacoby Brissett started. I think it was the only game that he won um, as a starting quarterback. Uh, the, the first seven games, <clears throat> Tua missed, I believe, four of those games. Um, so he, he played against the, the Patriots in week one. And then um, he got injured, I believe it was against the Bills. Mm-hmm. And and then it, he, he missed like four games. I think it was like three, came back for one and then missed a couple more, something like that. I can't remember exactly how it played off. But during that seven-game losing streak, most of those losses came because of Jacoby Brissett. And I remember being in Houston, and the mood after that victory in Houston in the locker room was not you – would, you would expect something different from winning a game after you have, have been on this, this, this losing streak. Yeah, because it was the, uh, the first win after seven straight losses, and it wasn't like a party atmosphere in the locker room? Finally snapped really. the streak? No, it was kind of. It was uh, not really. Okay. Um, it was. Uh, it was. It was kind of subdued. I mean, they were excited. You know, they were. They were. They were talkative. A little bit more talkative than they had been. But it was nothing like um, like you would expect. So everything kind of was. You didn't know what was going to happen. But it, it, the roller coaster of that season 
again, you look back, and if I look at some of those games in the first in the seven losing the, the seven game losing streak, you know, you, I look at the fact that Tua Tungavailoa wasn't playing. Um, so for me, that was kind of an odd situation because you didn't really know what you had. You know, we didn't know what we had the year before with Tua because he split time with Ryan Fitzpatrick. We know that Brian Flores didn't support him. Um, we we found this a lot of this stuff out after the season was over last year when uh, when Flores was fired. But you you look back and you see those seven games, and you just kind of shake your head because there was a lot that got away and could have been a lot different had Tua been the quarterback. There was games that they absolutely should have won. And then you get the seven-game winning streak, and that was an anomaly in itself because those were against teams that you probably could have won with Jacoby Brissett, at least a few of them. Um, so you, you ended the season seven games in, and you're, you're going, fire Brian Flores. Seven games after that, you're going, he should be coach of the year. You know, So that's kind of what the mentality was right. uh, with the Miami Dolphins at the time, with their fans. So, yeah, just very different season, that's for sure. Yeah, because just looking at the the schedule, like you said, we we start with a win over New England, then trounced by the Bills, thirty five to nothing, then an overtime loss to the Raiders, thirty one to twenty eight. So that seems like one that could have been won. Twenty seven seventeen, you lose yep. to the Colts at Tampa Bay with a loss. Not a big shocker there, the defending world champions and such. But then you lose back to back to Jacksonville and Atlanta. And granted, I think wasn't the Jacksonville game in London? It was, yeah. Okay, yeah. so and that was a, a game. We had three games in a row. Jacksonville was one of them, actually, maybe two games in a row, where the game was literally lost on a last-second field goal. Mm. That Jacksonville game was one of those. That was that. It was a, a long. I mean, we're not even talking like a thirty, you know, forty-yard field goal. We're talking like around fifty, maybe fifty-three yards. Um, so yeah, it was just you just kind of shake your head, going, "How? Yeah, how does how does this happen?" You know? Yeah, twenty-three to twenty to Jacksonville, thirty to twenty-eight loss to. <laughs> Atlanta, and then you know the um, the losing streak bookended by the another loss to the Bills, twenty six to eleven. Then, as we talked about, the winning streak begins seventeen to nine, a win over the Texans, and then the real surprise after a seven game losing streak and a win over a bad football team, you stomp the Ravens into the ground on Thursday night football. And I remember this <clears throat> especially because they played us after they played you guys. So it was just like when I was talking to my Ravens guy last week, it's like, what the hell happened in Miami? You lost to a two and seven football team and it didn't look like, you know, you lost to a two and like they they basically kicked your ass that night. What happened there? You know, then you have you you have wins over the Jets, the Panthers and the Giants. I think those are the games you said you probably could have won with Jacoby Brissett. You beat the Jets again, then a big win, twenty to three over the Saints on Monday night football before Finally, the streak is snapped with a, with a loss to the Titans and then finished the year with the win over the uh, Patriots there to close out 2021, falling, what, a game short, I think, of the playoffs? Yeah, they, they were. But, I mean, when you look at this at this schedule, um, you know, like you were just talking about, and we can pick up with the Ravens game. <clears throat> it was a brilliantly played defensive effort it by was, Miami. Yeah. I mean, they, I they, watched they, they shut him yeah. down. It was incredible. But this was the game that Tua came back in. So the week before against the Texans, uh, Tua was benched. Um, he was not coming back in. He was healthy, but he was not starting. Brian Flores did not want to start him. Um, in the Ravens game, he got back into right around the end of the third, midway through the third quarter into the fourth. Somewhere along there, Percet was not playing very well. And the offense was kind of struggling a bit. And they made the decision to go with Tua and Tua rapid the offense. And they were able to score enough, you know, get the points to the board to win. <clears throat> so that's kind of like a staple point for the Dolphins last season. Tua comes back in, he takes over the team, and then, of course, they ramble off five more uh, wins. But, you know, when you look at this, like you said, we should have beaten the Texans. We should have beat the Jets, the Panthers, the Giants, the Jets again. And then you talked about the Saints game. You know, not really. The, the Saints game could have gone a completely different way, but if you recall, the entire team of the Saints was decimated yeah. by COVID. Yeah. You know, their starting quarterback was gone. They were they were starting your Wasn't first string quarterback. Too? They were <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. They were um they were trying desperately to petition the league to have the game rescheduled. The league wouldn't do it. So Miami walked into playing third string players. Right. Like I said, the coach wasn't there. The uh the starting quarterback, the backup quarterback, they weren't there. They were using a rookie quarterback who had never started before. Uh, wide receivers were out. Running backs were out. Alvin Kamara, I don't think, was playing. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was that 
you know, that bad. So to come in and win 20 to three, Ooh, yay. We beat a, you know, a preseason team basically. Yeah. Um, but hey, like I said, you know, you have to go out and you have to play the games with what you have regardless. It could have very easily been the Dolphins that were decimated that for that game. Um, but you turn around and then you put up a 34 to three loss to the Titans and, and, the Titans game is a microcosm of why I think Brian Flores was fired. Mm. Um, not because the Dolphins lost that game, but every player that spoke about that game, even the week after that game, um, said there was no preparation. They did not prepare for that. They did not game plan for that game. They went in after the game against New Orleans, and they basically took the week off. Um, you know, they, they showed up to play this, the Titans, and nobody really had an idea of what the game plan was going to be, and it showed on the field. And I think that was probably, it might have been the icing on the cake for Flores. At the time, everybody thought, you know, hey, he's turned this thing around. But when you lose that much to the to the Titans, um, you just kind of, it, it was kind of the affirmation that a lot of people were wondering about as to whether or not Flores would have a job. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, everybody was shocked when he lost his job, right. but... Um, you know, I think that game hindsight could have been the the, the catalyst for Stephen Ross making that decision. So, real quick, let's talk about uh, the coaching change. As you said, you know, um, shocked when Brian Flores was let go, but at the same time, you know, as as thing as we kind of get further away from it, it, it seemed like it made more and more sense, and the things that were kind of leaking out as far as like how, what the situation was behind the scenes, like all his. You know, turmoil with his coaches, five offensive coordinators in four seasons and, you know, and things like that. Um, you know, because I was watching the Rich Eisen show the day that it happened and they were absolutely just floored by the decision, by the announcement that uh, Flores was being fired. Yeah, there wasn't much whisper about it. I mean, earlier in the season, there was talk that it might happen. Like I said, you know, the, the Titans game kind of was a little bit of an eye-opener afterwards because some of the players were actually speaking out. And I think that was the first hint that you got that there might be something wrong within the organization, but you weren't quite sure and you didn't think that it was going to be Brian Flores. Um, when Flores is fired and that is announced, I think everybody had that draw, jaw-dropping expression on their face. Yeah, um, I remember scrambling as a writer to try to find any information. I'm making phone calls. My phone's off the hook. People calling me, asking me what's going on. I'm like, hold on. I'm trying to find out myself. And then <clears throat> everything started to come into light. You know, you kind of, and this was before Brian Flores' lawsuit. Right. You start hearing about players being told to, lie, to, to walk in single file through the, uh, through the hallways, not allowed to talk, kind of felt like a kindergarten class. You find out that um, the way that he was treating his assistant coaches was absolutely horrid. The way that he was talking to some of the executives, some of the demands that he was making. You come, come to find out that the entire Deshaun Watson trade fiasco was started by him, and he was pointing the blame at Chris Greer, the general manager. So all of these little things started coming out, and you realize that there was a lot of dysfunction. Um, so, again, Brian Flores, another Bill Belichick disciple, fails like the rest of them have. Uh, we've yeah. discussed that previously before. Um, <clears throat> so, it's it, while it was shocking, I think within the days afterwards, we kind of all got an idea that, yeah, okay, we understand why it happened. But, you know, he's the first coach, um, gosh, since uh, Jimmy John or Dave Wonstadt that I that was able to book back, back-to-back winning seasons. So, it was a little bit disconcerting for the fans. But at the same time, I, I realized that you know changes needed to be made because you couldn't continue down that path. So we go from one extreme to the other, and I'm not talking about black guy, white guy. I'm talking more like Brian Flores had a very, um, I don't want, I don't want to say intimidating, but very, you know, uh, he's a very, he's got a presence. Let's just put it that way. And, and he's he definitely looks like a guy who's in charge. And, you know, apparently ran his football team in, 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 a, in a similar manner. In comes Mike McDaniel, who looks more like he learned about football in a book as opposed to somebody who spent his life playing the game uh, or anything like that. Uh, you know, a guy that, that does not look like he's played it down uh, in his life. All due respect. I mean, the guy's brilliant, obviously. But uh, you bring him in. He's got kind of this quirky personality. Um you know he's he's friends with a comedian whose name I still cannot remember, um, 
But, uh, you know, he's so he's got a crazy personality. He comes in. He's bringing kind of that San Francisco um, uh, system that he had success with, with Kyle Shanahan over there. You know, you're, you're loading up at running back. You sign Sony Michelle. You bring in Raheem Mostert, who he had success with in San Francisco. Uh, you got a fullback on the roster for the first time in a while with Alec Ingold uh, from Vegas. You bring in Chase Edmonds from Arizona. So it's going to be like a multi-layered running attack, which is going to help Tua set up play action, not to mention you signed Teron Armstead. You brought in Cedric Wilson from Dallas, Kyner Williams, the center from Dallas as well. So looks like the offense is being loaded for Bear, and uh, Mike McDaniel is going to be leading the charge here. It's going to be a very, very interesting season to see what he can do with the offense. The defense, we, the Dolphins didn't lose anybody on defense. I think they lost one maybe two depth players, <clears throat> but for the most part, their defense stayed completely intact. The first unit, the second unit, and most of, if not all of the third unit are returning. Um, so there's not a lot on defense to worry about, but McDaniel is an offensive guy and he is bringing what he tried to build in San Francisco as the offensive coordinator and run game coordinator for right. the uh, for the 49ers. So now here, all of a sudden he's coming in here and trying to bring something similar to Miami. So it's going to be very interesting to see if he can build that dynamic. The Dolphins have relied on a running game that consists of fourth-round, fifth-round draft picks for probably about 10 years now. I mean, dating all the way back to Lamar Miller, who was drafted back in, I believe, 2009, 10, or something like that. Um, but it's crazy to think that the Dolphins' running game has been like that. Um, so when you look back last year, year before, the last decade, you know, you've got guys like Miles Gaskin who are serviceable, fourth round, fifth round draft picks, you know, starting. And they're running behind an offensive line that's horrible. Now you've got McDaniel coming in who's going to change this. He's bringing in Mostert. He's bringing in Edmonds. These are guys that can catch out of the backfield that are multi talented. They have multi facets to their game and they're fast. Yeah. And like you mentioned, bring in this, this fullback. So the Dolphins haven't had a fullback on their roster for quite a while. I think the last one was in Sakapolite. Um, and even that's been so long, I can't remember the year that it was. But <laughs> it's um, it's a crazy dynamic. We're all waiting to see what, what he can do. And like you said, this is a kid that you look at him and you go, I mean, it's easy for me to say he's a kid. But um, you look at him and you think, wh- where did this kid learn f- learn football at? Yeah. You know, he's a Yale graduate. Um, but, he, you know, as a kid, he never played. But he grew up from just down the road from the Denver Broncos, and he used to ride his bike down there and spend all day at the practices talking to coaches, talking to players that would give him the time of day. And I think he learned the game from a cerebral standpoint. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of questions with him. Can he transition to a head coach? It's a, a question that a lot of people ask about any first-time head coach. Um, he's going to make mistakes. It's just a question of how he handles them. Yeah. Um, the one thing that's concerning for Dolphins fans Nobody in the NFL, not in any other team, I think there was eight teams looking for head coaches. Chicago was one of them, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Nobody nobody interviewed Mike McDaniel except yeah. for the Dolphins. And a lot of people want to know why that is and what the Dolphins saw in him to bring him down when nobody else was looking at him. And by the way, the comedian you're looking for is Dan, Dan Soder. Dan Soder. I was just looking it up, yeah. Dan Soder is his name. Um, really funny comedian, too. He's one of my favorites, actually. Oh, yeah. Which is why it was aggravating. I couldn't remember the poor bastard's last name. <laughs> I knew his name was Dan. I couldn't remember what his last name was. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to very much in, the, in a similar fashion as to what I'm looking forward to with what Luke Getze, our new offensive coordinator, is going to be doing with, the, uh, with our offense, with Justin Fields after, after sure. the nightmare that uh, Nagy and everybody put us through trying to fit the square peg in the round hole of trying to squeeze him into his – system when it when you know whenever we did whenever we put the team in a position to succeed or at least try to do what we do best we had success all day long but then you try to go back to the whole you know hey let's run a a a, a, a quick screen on third and six it's like well it's not going to be third and six because we're throwing to the ball throwing the ball to a guy four yards behind the line of scrimmage so he doesn't have to gain six yards he's got to gain ten to get a first down. So we're already starting in a negative spot here. And he would call plays like that all the time. You know, there was no rhyme or reason is like, there's really just seemed like no strategy behind uh, what he was doing. I mean, obviously I don't think that of Mike McDaniel, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what Getsy and company are going to put together 
offensively because they're saying all the right things. We're going to put our guys in the best position to succeed. We're going to put our best players on the field and do what they do best, so on and so forth, as opposed to Nagy saying the system works. We just have to get our – we just have to – because he talked about execution all the time. You know, it's like, well – Maybe you want to dumb it down a little bit or not throw in 100 plays every single week, you know, for the players to have to learn. Because we had uh, lineup issues all the time, calling unnecessary timeouts to get things straightened out. It happened all the time. So um, looking forward to what McDaniel and, like, can he bring the Kyle Shanahan success with him offensively uh, to Miami to kind of counterbalance that defense that was top 10 last year? Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if he can, and I think that's a huge question that a lot of fans are asking right now. I mean, he's got a great personality. Everybody likes talking to him. Mm -hmm. He's very supportive of his quarterback. He's got a great coaching staff behind him, which is something that Brian Flores did not bring in. But can they put it together? Can they make everything click? And that is the biggest question mark right now going into the season. Um, We'll start learning a little bit more when training camp rolls around because you know we'll actually see a little bit more of the implemented system. Yeah, but hopefully he doesn't. You know, it's not going to be one of those really in-depth things where they can just, you know, they have to absorb it quickly, as as opposed to just kind of integrating it gradually as they go along. Because there's talent on the offense now, which is something they can't say for the last few years. Yeah, and and talking about the uh, draft as we transition uh, here, um, three of your draft choices went to drafting a guy that's going to be a big part of your offense, or one would think. Uh, anyway, you gave up a first, a second, and a fourth this year, and I think another couple of picks next season to bring Tyreek Hill in uh, from Kansas City. And and talk about something else that was shocking. Number one, this offseason was bananas as far as guys being relocated uh, via trade uh, and everything. I mean, like the quarterback sweepstakes, and then but but with Tyreek Hill, it was. And I'm probably sure. I'm sure that behind the scenes, it didn't happen the same way. But as far as public knowledge was concerned. He asked to be traded on Tuesday. He was a Dolphin on Wednesday. I mean, it really happened that fast that it was just like he made it public he wanted to go, and the next day he was gone. Yeah, there was was very, very funny because uh, the Dolphins were not involved in the Tyree kill trade uh, early. There was nothing that remotely even hinted to Tyree Kill being a member of the Miami Dolphins. (laughs) So what had happened was Chris Greer um, got a call. Uh, basically from somebody that says, hey, you know, the Chiefs are looking to move Tyree Kill. And the Dolphins immediately dropped literally everything that they were doing and called the Chiefs and said, hey, let's do this. Um, the Chiefs reached out to Hill, who was at the time, I think, negotiating with the Jets, and said, hey, what about Miami? Have any interest? And he's like, yep, I'll go there. And, and they made that, that trade within, I mean, less than 24 hours it was done, and the Dolphins wanted him that bad. It's five draft picks. Uh, 2022 first round pick, a second round pick this year, and a fourth round pick this year, and then fourth and sixth round picks in 2023 next year. So, you know, Miami is in, was in a good position. Uh, they didn't need the front end of the draft picks. I mean, draft number uh, 29 overall. Um, yeah, you could probably get a starter, but are you going to get a Tyreek Hill? You needed wide receiver. Um, so there was a lot of speculation that Miami was going to draft a wide receiver in round one. Well, Tyreek Hill fills that need. Yeah. Um, so it cost you five picks, but it is, uh, it was swirling. It was probably more shocking than Brian Flores being fired. <laughs> um, as a writer, it was one of the most fantastic things to cover because of how quickly it happened and how much more was involved in it with the draft picks and the new contract. And, you know, everything just clicked. This is, he wanted to be in Miami, which is something that, Players just haven't wanted to do for the last 20 years. So it was explosive. It was an explosive headline. And, uh, you know, will it change how the Dolphins operate? I honestly think it will. Maybe not so much for production, but Hill is bringing a new attitude. He's bringing a new energy to the Dolphins that has not been there for a while. Yeah. And we, we've gone, the Dolphins went out and they traded for Mike Wallace. Um, or uh, they traded for uh, Brandon Marshall. You know, they signed Mike Wallace during the free agency period, which was a big shock out of when he was with Baltimore. But those guys brought an attitude, and you couldn't fix that attitude. And it was so detrimental to the team that they lasted two years and were gone. Um, I know, because we got got Marshall from you you guys. You you did, yeah, for two second-round picks, if I'm not mistaken. Third. Um, 
two third rounders. Right. Okay. Yeah. Two. That's right. We traded for him for two seconds and got two thirds from you. Uh, but Hill's not. Hill doesn't have that. He's got the the attitude and the ego, but it's so positive. His energy is so positive that it's changing a a the dynamic in that locker room. Yeah. People are gravitating towards him. He's taken on a leadership role. You know, it, it's refreshing to see for a change. So hopefully it works out and it translates to the field. But, but yeah, that that uh, that trade was incredible. Yeah, and 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 one thing to 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 be worried about is when you when you have a guy like Tyreek Hill come in, not because of his <laughs> ego or or anything like that, but this is a guy that you know was a chronic winner. In Kansas City, you know they right. won all the time, and so he's gonna—he's not a guy that wants to win. He's a guy that expects to. So he's gonna come into this place expecting everyone to have the attitude or the culture that you, you expect to win. You're, this is not where I just happy to be here, kind of guy. He's like he expects to be in the AFC Championship game, playing for a right to go to the Super Bowl because that's what he's been used to for the last five years. Uh, in Kansas City, and the, the you know the risk being that if that goes sideways, you might lose him, and he could be out of there in two years because he wants to go somewhere else where he's going to get what he had in Kansas City. Yeah, to a degree, I would yeah. agree with that. Um, it's going to be interesting because, like you said, he has won. You know, he has that ring, and he's used to winning in that but stadium. Ironically time, enough, also, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's not something new for him to come to Miami because he's been there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at his 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 uh, years of service, you know he's getting to the point now where um, I don't want to say the twilight of his career, but he, it's it's winding down. He's sure. on the other side of that hill. Um, so what does that mean for the future? I mean, he's got seven years in the league right now. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting that if the Dolphins can't win, will that change his attitude? Yeah. And it's it definitely does. You know, it changes a lot with, with players. Um, they can say all the right things right now, but what happens in, like you said, in two years, if you're not winning, that mentality changes because now suddenly the money's not the thing anymore. Right. It's, I, you know what, I, I haven't been back to the show. I want to get back to the Super Bowl. I want to get back into the playoffs. So it's a challenge. It's a challenge for the Dolphins to make sure that that continues to happen, not just for him, but you got to remember, too, he's walking into the system with a bunch of young kids going, hey, I've been there. I know what it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. Follow my lead. Do what I tell you to do. Let me show you how to do it. And if you do it, we'll get back. And if that doesn't work out, who's 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 looking like they didn't know what they were talking about? So, <clears throat> a lot of questions about that. Yeah, it's a good point. So, yeah, it really kind of boils down to: uh, Can he come in and change the mentality, or will the mentality be what changes him? Uh, kind of thing. So, um, so let's. I mean, so. One, uh, you got a one, a two, and a four that went for Tyreek Hill. Only left the Dolphins with four picks uh, this year. The first one, not till 102 in the third round. <clears throat> Channing Tindall from uh, Georgia, a linebacker for you guys. Fourth rounder, uh, Eric uh, Izukama, Izukama, uh wide receiver out of Texas Tech. Cameron Good, another linebacker out of Cal Berkeley. And then a quarterback with the seventh, uh, seventh, with the second seventh rounder, uh, Skyla Thompson. From Kansas State, um, I know you got two seventh rounders, and those are usually guys that are on special teams or developmental guys. But uh, what, what, you know, are you expecting much out of this very small draft class you guys ended up with? I think at the top, when you look at Channing Tindall, I think this is a guy that could come in and make an impact in year one. I think he's going to get some, a lot of playing time, even if it's to spell one of the Dolphins linebackers, because the Dolphins defense uses such a, a varying scheme. You know, there's a lot of upfront pressure. Uh, and Tyndall's a guy that can get around. He moves very well. He's fast. He's physical. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that Georgia had so many standout linebackers, Tyndall would have gone a lot higher in the draft. Sure. <clears throat> so the Dolphins, it's kind of felt as though they got to steal with this guy. And I think he's, he can make a big impact on this roster. And I think he's somebody that they're going to build around for the future within that linebacker unit. But, uh, you know, I don't know much about Cameron Good. Um, so I, I don't want to really comment on him, but he's a guy that, you know, you take a flyer on it at that, at that point in the draft. Sure. Um, you look at as the wide receiver, I think this is a guy that's going to provide some depth to the roster, which the Dolphins didn't have. They traded Devonte Parker to the Patriots. Um, 
So you have you had to bring somebody else in. If you look at Dolphins wide receivers, uh, you got Jalen Waddle now. You've got Tyree Kill. These are speed guys, uh, probably fastest in the NFL. You've got um, <clears throat> Cedric Wilson Jr., who was, came over from Dallas, and he is a very good up and coming wide receiver that just kind of you know got shuffled around in, in Dallas because of the depth that they had. Um, Dallas would have loved to have kept him, but he joined the Dolphins instead. So. When I look at his economy, I see this guy, he's a guy that's going to come in, learn how to play in the NFL. I think he's going to maybe play some special teams off the start. Miami only lost one real wide receiver last year, um, and that was Matt Collins, who went to the Raiders in the off season, this offseason. And he was more of a standout on the on special teams. So I see where um, Ezekama could take on that role, but I don't anticipate him making an impact this year uh, on, in the wide receiver unit because the Dolphins have quality up there for a change. Uh, at the front end of it. So when I look at this draft class, the only other one that you would, that we would talk about would be Skylar Thompson out of uh, Kansas State. And <clears throat> he's intriguing because through the OTAs and minicamps, I've heard his name mentioned more than Teddy Bridgewater, who was signed as the backup to Tua. Right. So he's a, he's a baller. I mean, there's, there's a lot of comparisons to a very, very uh, young Rams quarterback, can't think of his name, just had the movie made out of him, Hall in the Hall of Fame, and I don't know why I cannot remember the guy's name. It's driving me nuts. Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner. Um, yeah, so when Kurt Warner was in the Arena League, um, Skylar Thompson kind of has a little bit of those traits where he's like gunslinger, takes some shots, um, but he's kind of stood out as a third quarterback, so much so that they released their fourth quarterback on the team uh, because he's done well. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see. He's not going to make the 53 because you're not going to get rid of Teddy Bridgewater to keep him. Right. So it's going to be interesting how they try to pass him through waivers and get him on to their practice squad, which I think is his ultimate destination for the Dolphins. And then maybe next year or the year after, he shows up as a reliable, bona fide uh, backup uh, for the Dolphins. And maybe somewhere down the road he challenges. I, I kind of see his career taking a trajectory more like of a Matt Moore, um, where okay. he can start and he can play. But his career is probably going to be more on the line of a qualified uh, backup that can come in and, and take over a game or take over a few games if necessary and not be a detriment to your team. But we're talking three years down the road at best with this guy, but he's intriguing nonetheless. Interesting. All right. So let's move on to the schedule. Let's look ahead to uh, 2022. Um, again, starting with the Patriots uh, at home. Then on the road for Baltimore, so uh, Baltimore probably going to look to pay you back for that Thursday nighter uh, from last year. Home for the Bills, and then at Cincinnati, getting that Thursday night game out of the way uh, early there. But that's uh, you know three playoff teams and the Ravens, who for the most part last year was a playoff team until the very end of the season there. So a pretty rough start. Uh, but you know the Dolphins hit the ground running. We're going to find out who they are in that first month for sure. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting stretch uh, to to open up the season. But I'll be honest with you, I just did an article that's not going to post until Monday. Um, I called it the 17 headlines that you're going to see this year. (laughs) It's kind of a a week-by-week prediction piece on what I think the Dolphins can do. Um, And it's more of of a piece to how the Dolphins can get to 11 wins this year. I did it last year, and obviously that didn't work out. Excuse me. But when I look at the schedule, I don't, I'm not afraid of the Ravens. I think the Dolphins, I, I'm not one of those guys who sits there and looks at Lamar Jackson and goes, oh my gosh, he's just unbeatable. Mm-hmm. I don't see that. You take away his ability to run, yeah. and I don't think he's that great as a, as a quarterback, I agree. as a pure quarterback. You yeah. also have to look at the fact that the Ravens just got rid of their best wide receiver, and he didn't really replace him with anybody. So in that situation, we're talking about an offense that is going to be suspect early on in the season you don't really know what they're going to have and they may not be all on the same page because you're going to have some new faces in there they're going to rely on the running game and if you can take away that running game take away lamar jackson's ability to run that ball this is a beatable franchise um so i don't think also when you look at it there's not going to be much tape on the dolphins offense so how is how are the ravens defense going to prepare to play a team that there's not a lot of tape on I think this is a winnable game for Miami. Sure. I think the Patriots game in week one is a winnable game. I don't think that the Dolphins have a chance in hell to beat the Bills in week three. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they're there yet. 
you look at the Bengals in week, I think it's what, five, four. one, two, three, four, week, week four. four. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a primetime game. You know, the Bengals coming the Bengals off the are, Super Bowl. Yeah, the Bengals are interesting because the Bengals are still the Bengals. And they are. the Bengals are like the Bears in the way that they, they don't really have a lot of success stringing successful seasons together. So will they be the defending AFC champions this year or will they be the Bengals again? And, you know, a team that struggles to win five or six games uh, and things like that. That's the real question about them is like, will their history dictate their present right. or will they, you know, or is this a new future uh, for the Bengals? That's really going to be the question around uh, the Bengals this year. Can they do it again? Or will they go back to being the Bengals where they're, you know, struggling to to, 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 to meet 500 and such? Yeah, and I feel the same way because if you look at last season, and I'm not knocking the Bengals. They had an incredible season last year. Incredible. It was a lot of fun to watch. Them. I was a huge fan. And yeah. yeah, but the ball bounced in their favor quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. And you got to have to ask yourself, is that something that can be replicated again in 2022? And I'm not sure that it is. Mm-hmm. So when I look at the Dolphins-Bengals game, I'm not looking at a team that Miami's playing like the Buffalo Bills, who you expect to be in the AFC Championship, right. who you expect to be one of the top teams in the division. I'll be honest with you, I don't know if the Bengals are going to win their division. Right. You know, So I would like to think that they can. But you know what? The Browns are an upcoming team. You know, Pittsburgh's got Trubisky. I don't anticipate him doing much, but it's the Steelers, and the Steelers can pull stuff out of nowhere. Right. And then, of course, the Ravens, depending on how they end up working out. So I look at that and I go, okay, this is a push for me. I don't see, I see the Dolphins matching up well on paper with them. Um, I think that, you know, Jamar Chase is no longer this hidden gem that you can hide from everybody. Right. People know who he is. And if you put Jamar Chase and Xavier Howard together on the field and you back him up with Javon Holland as a safety, you can take away a very viable weapon. They don't have CJ Uzama anymore. He went to the Jets. And then, of course, you've got the Jets. So if I look at this, if I look at this schedule, it is not inconceivable to me if things are playing out the way that they could for Miami to come away with one, two, three, four, possibly uh, four wins in the first five games. Um, it, it's not out of the question to me. I just think that there's – if Mike McDaniel can get the offense on track early and if the team buys into what he's selling, they've got the talent to win some of these games. Uh, and I think they could be a very dangerous team at the front. Maybe not so much at the end when teams start to figure them out and have more tape on them. Right. And we'll, we'll talk about the, the back end of the schedule here in just a second. But, you know, after that Thursday nighter with the Bengals, you get the quote unquote mini buy. Uh, then you're home, or excuse me, you're at the Jets, home for the Vikings. Then you got a national TV game on Sunday night football against the Steelers that we were just talking about. At Detroit and then at Chicago, we finally meet up uh, first weekend in. Uh, November there on uh, week number nine on November the 6th. So in those five games, there's a lot of winnable football games there. You got the Jets. I've never really had, well, not lately anyway, not a lot of great respect for the Vikings. They've also got a new coach bringing in a new offense and things like that. The Steelers, like you said, the Steelers are the Steelers, but they're also not the Steelers that they used to be. So that could possibly be another win. And then there's the Lions and the Bears, you know, as much as I love my squad. I don't know who's what team you're going to be seeing uh, week nine right now with the new head coach, the new offensive coordinator, and and things like that. All the new people that our brand new general manager has brought in. I'm not sure what the starting lineup looks like or who we're going to be facing, but based on looking at it through the lens of the 2021 season, that's also a winnable game uh, for you guys uh, there as well. So the Jets, Vikings, Steelers, Lions, Bears could be a good stretch for you guys before you head into that. Week 10 matchup at home for the Browns before your week 11 bye. Yeah, it's uh, the Bears are going to be an interesting team. And it was one of the games that, as I'm sitting down looking at it, writing out my, my article, that I don't know who the Bears are. Right. I don't know what to expect from them. I don't, I can't, like, I didn't immediately sit down and go, oh, well, they made all these offseason moves and got better here, here, and here. It was more of a, did they make any moves? I know they lost Allen Robinson. Yep. Um, I know Trubisky's gone. I know, well, he was gone before that, but I know they made the coaching change. But it's the same thing with Miami. You don't know what Mike McDaniel can do. You don't know what Eberflus can do. You don't know what any of these guys could do. So you could you could have a Brian Flores situation where the bank or where the Bears just totally 
everybody buys into what they're selling and what they're putting out there, and this team just explodes and surprises a lot of people. Or it could be one of those, it's a learning season, and it's going to take a while to get it, you know, to get it going. But I think Justin Fields is really going to be the critical key to the Bears' success because mm. he wasn't used right no. in the previous regime. I, yeah. I think it was a very kind of a similar situation to how Tua was used. Um, they didn't build up his game but expected him to fit into a peg that he didn't fit into. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, when I look at it, I do look at November 6th as a game that the Dolphins should win. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you talk about games that you should, those are the ones you typically lose. Yeah, or as, as Chris Berman said for yeah. years, that's why they play the games. Um, Absolutely. So <clears throat> so a week 11, you have a bye. So pretty cent- centric, you know, in the schedule. You know, don't have to go too far to get to it, but – don't have much of the season left afterwards. Um, but on the back end of the schedule, you come off the bye, you got a, a, a game at home against the Texans. And then one of the more brutal December schedules I've seen in a long time. Uh, you start week 13, three, <clears throat> it starts with three road games at San Francisco, yeah. at the LA Chargers, at Buffalo, and then you come home for a Christmas Day game against the Packers. I mean, who did the Dolphins piss off that this is their December? I, I have no idea, but if you look at that, that Texans game right there could be their last <laughs> win until they get to January. It's... It could be their last win of the 2022 calendar year because <laughs> it is going to be very tough to go out to San Francisco and beat them. Now, San Francisco's going through a lot of transition right now. Is Jimmy yeah. Garoppolo still going to be their, their starting quarterback, or will it be Trey Lance? You know, when training camp rolls around, everybody's expecting a move to be made in that situation because 49ers were shopping him. If a quarterback gets injured, there's going to be a market for him. Yeah. And they, they do want to go to Trey Lance. They they traded up with Miami, um, right. gave up a lot of draft capital uh, to, to get him. In fact, Miami has their first-round pick next year. Uh, <clears throat> but at the same time, there's been a lot of talk coming out of San Francisco that they are not happy with how Trey Lance is developing. So the dynamic out in San Francisco by the time that December 4th game rolls around could be a lot different. Right now, I look at them and I go, I don't see how Miami's going to travel to the West Coast and beat them. They're going to have to stay on the West Coast that week to play, San- uh, to play right. Los Angeles yeah, uh, because the Chargers are sitting on their calendar too. Um, and then, like you said, you're going you're gonna to fly home from the West Coast. You're going to come home for a couple of days, try to get yourself acclimated back to the East Coast time zone. And then you got the Bills. <laughs> it's a road game. In Buffalo uh, in December. I mean, come on. In December. Yeah. And we know that Tua Tungavailoa is horrible in cold games. So maybe we see Teddy Bridgewater start that one. <laughs> and then, you know, the ice, the cherry on top, Christmas uh, Christmas Day. And I think it's the third game. So the main event, the, the, the primetime game uh, against the Packers on Christmas Day. Uh, I mean, just brutal before you're, you're on the road at New England and then home for the Jets uh, to finish it out. I mean, yeah, that because uh, when I looked at it, when I was because I, I was typing up schedule in my notes here that I'm looking at and it's just like, all right, December 4th at San Francisco. That's rough. And then, oh, at the Chargers as well. So they're probably staying out there on the West Coast and in December that that late in the season, that's going to suck. Then you get. Oh Christ! That the Bills after that, my God! Then home for Green Jesus Christ! You know, just like my God! It's like looking at this. I, I think through, the only go ahead. No, I was just going to say I think the only team in the AFC and maybe the entire NFL that has the worst starting schedule or schedule at all is the Jets. I mean, they could finish easily. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, maybe if they're lucky, one and nine because the schedule at the start is so horribly bad. But you're right. At the end of this schedule for the Dolphins, that four game stretch right there, I think that's that could very easily uh, determine whether this team goes to the playoffs or not, because you could go, like I said, let's say the Dolphins win their, you know, four of their first five games. Maybe they go into the Texas game um, with only maybe two losses, three losses. You're in the hunt for the playoffs. Those four games right there could take you completely out of the playoffs and end your season before you even get to the Patriots. Yeah. Cause looking at this through the lens of the 2021 season, these four game, these four teams could be in the conference championships when it's all said and done. Like those Absolutely. could e- easily be the two. 
best teams in each conference, and you're playing them in succession, three of them on the road. So, yeah, it's it's a brutal finish uh, to the season. And if you survive that, you got New England on the road and then another divisional game against the Jets uh, to close things out. So, I mean, it's uh, yeah. it's a crazy finish uh, to the year. You guys are definitely going to want to be eating your Wheaties at that point uh, in the season. Yeah, to, it's going to uh, be nuts. Yeah, to to have that stiff upper lip uh, for those guys. So, so you wrote your seventeen headlines. By the time this interview drops, that article will be out. So, um, where where did you said eleven wins is what you're you're looking at, or what you think the Dolphins yeah, are capable I mean, of this year? It's a it's a road. It's it's a, it's a pathway to how the Dolphins could get to eleven wins. And okay. I have in my in my article, I have them beating the Patriots and the Ravens. Um, I have them beating the Bengals, obviously the Jets. I have them beating the Vikings. I'm not the Vikings. Don't scare me. Not at all. And everybody makes a big deal because of, of Justin Jefferson. But you know what? You take him out, and Kirk Cousins can get rattled pretty easily. That's a Jekyll and Hyde football team. So now I'm at one, two, three, four, five wins before we hit Steelers. I think Miami can beat the Steelers, so that's six. The Lions is seven. Bears are eight. Uh, I have them losing to the Browns, but okay. I think that's a game being played in Miami that could go either way. So now you're looking at eight and two. Texans make you nine and three, and then that brutal four game stretch, and now all of a sudden you're sitting at nine wins and three losses. Now, now you're at nine and seven. Your two games at the end of the season, Patriots and the Jets. There's your eleven games, but a lot of those games. I mean, maybe we steal the the Packers game, maybe we steal the Browns game that I have the Dolphins losing, but at the same time, they could very easily lose to the Bengals and the Ravens. So they have to take. Some of those games, you have to beat either the Ravens, the Bengals, the Vikings, the Chargers, um, the 49ers, the Packers. You have to win two or three of those games to get to 11, um, <clears throat> probably three of them. But it's doable. It's, it's there and it's a possibility. Um, but a lot of things have to happen for Miami to get there. And most of that is going to be on the offensive side of the ball and how well this team uh, gets behind this Mike McDaniel system that he's installing, and how well he can call plays, because he's never called plays before. Right. So this is going to be a completely different scenario for him, too. He's stepping into an offensive coordinator-type role where he is going to, to rely on his offensive coordinator to game plan, but when it comes down to the game, he's the guy on the sidelines with the, with the, the playbook in his hand calling the plays. So there's a lot of questions. If it works in his favor and the team rallies behind him, 11 games isn't out of the question. But it's a long way to get there. Right. I could easily turn around. I mean, in reality, and I think this goes for every team, if you look at this Dolphins schedule, I've got them at 11 wins. But how, you know, you take away three of those games and you're looking at, at, at a franchise that's eight and nine. Mm-hmm. So realistically, that's the difference between a non playoff team and a playoff team three games in a season that you have to win wherever they are on your schedule because if you can't do it, you're not getting to the playoffs. And we can go back and look at the, the, the schedule from last year. I was just pulling it up. I was just pulling it yeah. up. I was like, you look at it, that overtime loss to the Raiders, those two losses to the yep. Jacksonville Jaguars and the Falcons, those three wins make you 12-5. and five. You're definitely in the playoffs then. It's complete three games. And, and, and I keep trying to tell them, you know, my readers who love to argue with me when I say 11 wins is possible, it's the season comes down to three games. It's literally for most teams. I mean, obviously, if you're the Detroit Lions, um, you know, and you're struggling to rebuild your roster, the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's not three games because three games might get you to 500 if you're lucky at this point until right. you get your team back up. But for these borderline teams, those three games are the difference between a double-digit win season and a losing season. Mm-hmm. Because with us having 17 games now, there's no 500 seasons anymore. Right. It's out the window. You're, you're not going to finish 500 unless you get a tie somewhere. So three games makes a break your, can make or break your entire season. The question is, are you going to lose them at the front end? In which case, you have to battle like the Dolphins did last year, where you have to get on a, a seven-game winning streak and basically finish out the season winning to make the playoffs. Or are you going to face it at the end of the year when it's crunch time? So. We'll see. It's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out next season. All right. Well, Brian, thanks so much uh, for coming on the show. This has been great. I I look forward to uh, having you back on to prepare for week number nine when the the Dolphins come to Chicago. It's a um, 
a matchup that, frankly, I'm not looking forward to because historically, Miami's always had our number. You know, our, our most successful seasons for recent memory uh, for the Bears, even going back to 85, our one loss was to the Dolphins. Um, even more recently in 06, our last Super Bowl season, our first loss of the season to an 0-6 Dolphins team in Chicago, <laughs> of all places. And then our last uh, really nice year uh, in 2018 with the um, when we went 12-4 and and all that kind of stuff, we come down to Miami. Brock Osweiler, of all people, throws for 380 yards and three touchdowns and beats the Bears. So, you know, I, and I don't look forward to playing the Dolphins because for one reason or another, the Dolphins always find their way to victory. Well, that's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I do look forward to talking to you before that game. Miami could very easily have six losses by the time they come to Chicago. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you look at it, they could lose to the Ravens, the Bills, the Bengals, the Vikings. You know, so they're, they could lose to the Steelers, and there's their six losses. So, you know, it's the, the dynamic when you get to, to week nine, we can sit here and talk about it now. Uh, and I got to be held accountable because when I come back on with you prior to that game, <laughs> what I said could happen is already going to happen, and we'll know right. <laughs> whether I was right or wrong. Absolutely, so we'll see what kind of words I have to eat. But it's going to be a very I mean, the Bears themselves. They could be a totally different team too. Absolutely. So, where can we keep up with you in the meantime? Because we don't get to talk again until November. Yeah, I'll be at uh, finfanatic dot com. You can follow me at Twitter at uh, t. No, I'm sorry, at finfanatic is my uh, my Twitter handle. Um, and that's so, what yeah, ph is right. Time. No F's. Yeah, it's P-H-I-N-P-H-A-N-A-T-I-C. There you go. Um, and if you can't remember that, just look up uh, Fan Sided Miami Dolphins website. There you go. They'll direct you to it because we're oh, part that's of the how I found network. You. So, that's how I yeah. found you. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's easy enough to find. Um, and, uh, you know, hey, you guys want to drop me uh, a message or something, shoot me an email, uh, message me on Facebook I'd be, or on, uh, on Twitter. I'd be more than happy to get back with everybody that does. You know, if you've got any questions, I'm, I'm more than happy to uh, to spend some time. All right. Brian Miller from uh, FinFanatic.com for Fansided, uh, helping us preview the 2022 Miami Dolphins. As always, want to thank my guest Brian Miller from FinFanatic.com uh, for uh, joining us to help preview the Dolphins. Looking forward to having him uh, on the show when the Bears and Dolphins butt heads uh, later this year. And I've already closed out the the note for the uh, let's see Miami, 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 November sixth in Chicago, and you know, and you, you heard me talk about it. Something about the goddamn Dolphins. They always seem to have our number, whether we're the best team in the league or the worst or whatever. It just seems to be one of those matchups for us that just never works out. You know, twelve and the 12 and 14 back in 2018, the last time we played the Dolphins, we go down there, Brock Osweiler, Brock Osweiler 380 and three touchdowns. They beat us in overtime. I mean, come on. You know, just, uh, yeah. I mean, in 06 when we went to the Super Bowl, uh, we're undefeated. They're winless. They come into Soldier Field, into Soldier Field, and beat us. I mean, come on, you know th- those are the kind of things right there. So um, anyway, I um, look forward to having him back on the show. It was really fun talking to uh, him. And um, so now we close the book on the Dolphins. We move on to the New England Patriots. That will be our next episode next Tuesday. Uh, my good friend, my new good friend, Pat Lane from the Patriot Nation podcast from uh, SB Nation's Pat's Pulpit uh, will be joining us to help preview the 2022 Patriots, talk about year one of Mac Jones, what they're expecting uh, in year two uh, and things like that. It might surprise you, actually, where you think Pat, uh, where Pat thinks the, uh, the team is heading or what he's looking for in year number two for Mac Jones uh, and the Patriots uh, this year. So, um I was actually surprised to hear what his expectations are. Any pre, other Patriots fans, not podcasters, because they tend to be, you know, they follow the team. They know the day-to-day for the most part. They tend to be a bit more grounded uh, with their expectations. But other Pats fans that I'm talking to, you know, this kid already is the second coming of Tom Brady, and they're going to go 13-4, and four, win the division, and make a deep run in the playoffs, which might happen because Belichick is a genius, and I'm sure he'll try to figure out a way to do that. But... Um, I think Pat's expectations are a lot more grounded and realistic. And uh, I really respect what he had to say about the team. And I'm also appreciating all the Justin Fields love, too, as well. So 
Be sure to tune in for that next Tuesday when we preview the New England Patriots. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis. Go green with solar panels or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.